Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Year, session number 516. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a great guest, but before we jump in and speak to Dr. Michelle Bloom, let's talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Did you know that Blueprint MCAT has the second best full-length exams out there? Now, normally you don't want to be second best, but when the first best is the AAMC, I'll take second best any day. The AAMC exams written by the official test writers, Blueprint exams written by the experts at Blueprint MCATs have historically been the second best exams out there behind the AAMC exams. So if you're looking for some more exams to take, which the biggest mistake students make is not taking enough exams, go over to blueprintmcat.com, sign up for a free account. You'll get access to their free half-length diagnostic as well as full-length one from Blueprint MCAT. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com. All right, let's go ahead and jump in and have a great conversation with Dr. Michelle Bloom, who is a heart failure specialist, a cardio-oncologist. I had her on eShadowing several months ago, and I loved her conversation, and I wanted to have more of the conversation about work-life, quote-unquote, balance, if there is such thing. Uh, we get into that, being, being a doctor, being a parent, being a spouse, uh, being a human being and all of the other responsibilities and desires and wants and needs and, and everything else that comes with being a physician in today's day and age. We have a great conversation. I hope you enjoy. Dr. Michelle Bloom, thank you so much for joining me on the pre-med years. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Ryan. It's so nice to be back. It, it is was nice so to be fun back. the first time. Yes. The first time being on e-shadowing and we had such a great conversation there. I'm like, you got to come back on the pre-med years and talk about uh, life, life as a doctor, as a woman physician, as a mom, as a spouse, as a person living in this world who has other responsibilities outside of being a doctor. Like, <laughs> how do you do it all? Okay, let's, let's not start with I that don't. question. <laughs> That's uh, a tough one to start with yeah, because yeah. I don't think anyone does. Nobody but. does. Yeah, nobody does. Let's let's rewind. Uh, my favorite question, when did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor? So I wanted to be a doctor from the moment I remember being a little girl. Always, always. I didn't know what I wanted to do specifically. I may have told you guys this story when we did the the radio show, 
but um, originally back in the day, I thought I wanted to be an anesthesiologist. And I tell that story all the time because I was in third grade career day and they asked you to make a poster and I cut out all the letters for anesthesiologist, which is a lot of letters. Um, and I made this poster. And so my point is like, I was eight years old, which yeah. is the, was it, was it a poster or was it a poster or a ransom note? It was totally a poster <laughs> and I actually still have it in my basement. And if I were home, I would show it to you, but I'm at my office. That's awesome. And so I knew from the time I was a really, really little girl. And ironically, my little one is that age now he's in third grade. And I said last night, oh, I'm going on a podcast because I'm going to talk to people about being a doctor. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to be a soccer player. <laughs> <laughs> smart kid, smart oh. kid. Yeah, my yeah. my eight-year-old's like, I. what's her newest thing? I'm going to be an art teacher. I'm like, great, you, you do that. And my four-year-old's like, I'm going to be a doctor. probably better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I knew from way early that this is what I wanted to do. And yeah. I sort of honed in on, you know, I went through multiple iterations of the specialty and whatnot, but I always knew I wanted to go into medicine and I always knew I wanted to be a, a doctor. Yeah. I just kind of it took a while for me to figure out exactly what within medicine I wanted to do. Yeah. I, uh, like you, talk to a lot of pre-med students, and unfortunately, it's it's mostly women that I hear this from. They are told time and time again, why do you want to be a doctor? Why do you want to subject yourself to that lifestyle? Don't you want a family? Don't you want a life outside of medicine? Do, do you hear that still at this point from people that you mentor? Did you hear that um, on your path? Um, I don't know that I heard it on my path. And honestly, it makes me sad to even hear it because the reality is nobody's perfect at anything that they do. And if you think you're going to be perfect, you're never going to succeed. But the reality is there's absolutely, there should be no glass ceiling. There should be no reason why anybody, woman, man, anyone shouldn't pursue their dreams and their career goals just because you're, you know, because your goal is also to have a family. In fact, you know, one thing that I will say in 2022 and over the last few years that it's available now, um, that was never a thing when I was a student and when I was doing my training, um, was that there are actually now, there's several social media groups for um, women who are moms and doctors, but yeah. there's there's one in particular that has something like 80,000 doctor PMG. moms. PMG. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to say the name if I wasn't allowed. But uh, we're good friends PMG. with Dr. Hala Sabri. Okay, Hala's the best. <laughs> I yes. So, I mean, has completely revolutionized being a yeah. woman in medicine because now, you know, where me, when I was doing my training all those years ago, I just felt very often felt very isolated. I mean, thank God for my girlfriends in med school who were going through it at the same time, or you feel like you're the only one. But now, I mean, you have this tremendous resource where you hop onto Facebook or you hop onto some other, you know, group on social media and you're like, I'm not the only one. I mean, this yeah. is a thing that everybody does and we all figure it out and we all live our lives and we're the best doctors we can be and we're the best moms we can be. And, and that's just it. And so it's kind of nice now to feel like it's normalized and, or it, maybe not that it's normalized, but at least that you're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. What, what is the, as a working professional physician as a parent, as a spouse, we we often talk and, and I, I hear all the time from, from students about work-life balance. What does that look like? 
And I'm to the point, and I've talked to enough people, I'm like, that doesn't exist. The work-life balance doesn't exist. What's your take on that? It's funny. It's like that it's even a term because everybody says it, but nobody really knows what it means and no one really knows if it exists. I think it's one of those things that's just the holy grail. Yeah. So it's it's actually funny because this morning as I was getting ready to, you know, I, I spent the day in the office. I saw patients here today. Um, and as I was getting ready and obviously, as usual, super late and rushed and getting the kids off to school, my two older ones were getting picked up by a friend of mine who helps me out, um, who's also a working mom and was like leaving to catch the train. And my little one is in the bathroom with me while I'm getting ready. And he's he always plays music. We have like a little dance party while I'm getting ready for work. Um, and one of the things I will tell you is like, that's the stuff you have to do. Like you have to find where, you know, whatever it is. And if, even if it's silly, like just time that you can spend with them one-on-one -on -one or in a group or whatever, when you have the time. So for me, it's sometimes getting ready in the morning. Anyway, the point is he was playing music and he played this song that I haven't heard in a while. And I thought it was ironic because there was a line in the song that said, I tried carrying the weight of the world, but I only had two hands. <laughs> And I said, wow, that's so like, that's so ironic because I'm doing this thing on work-life balance. And, and the reality is like, I think a lot of people start out and they think they feel like they have to carry the weight of everything. But the reality is in order to be even remotely successful at this thing called work-life balance, you have to realize that A, you have to have a village, um, which I couldn't, I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have my husband who is like beyond supportive and who has been from day one and who completely pitches in. And we really do like a 50, 50 split or sometimes even a higher split if I'm in the hospital and I'm running late or whatever. Um, and also just friends and colleagues who are, who you're surrounding yourself with, who not only understand you, but just support you blindly, like no questions asked. They will be there in a pinch. They will get your kid off a bus. If you're late to get home because you're in the middle of, you know, saving someone's life. I don't know. I mean, something, yeah. but the point is like, you have to surround yourself with people that can support you and help you and kind of, and, and, and be there when you can't. And, and also you have to, you know, I think a lot of us in medicine, women and men are type a perfectionists who feel like we should be able to do everything. And I think that for me, it took a really long time to kind of relinquish some of that responsibility and say, okay, I mean, I can't be everywhere at the same time. I have to rely on people that I trust and who I love and who love me so that I can do the best, you know, I can be the best version of myself, both at work and, and at home. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever heard the term dad guilt, but mom guilt is something that gets thrown around all the time. Where do you think this mom guilt and this, this perfect idea of what a mom should be, where, where does that come from? I don't know. You should ask my kids because I don't think they think I'm a pretty good mom. <laughs> but um, I don't know, but it's a real thing. It is a real, real thing. And I agree with you. I have a lot of male colleagues who I love to pieces who also have kids and you don't you don't kind of like see their behaviors being, oh my God, I have to run out because I have to be there or I feel horrible because I miss this or I miss that. It's just not a thing. And I don't, I guess it's just a cultural norm for women who are moms to, to feel like the onus is on them to kind of be everywhere and be everything to their kids. And honestly, I, I, I'll tell you, I, we have a very kind of equivalent marriage. In fact, my husband, since COVID works from home, which has been life altering for me, because it used to be like a race to who could get home first and who could drive, you know, kid A from point B to C or whatever. 
Um, and now it's much easier because he's around. Yeah. Um, but it is a it is a thing for moms, and I don't know why it is, and it probably is always going to be because I think we kind of create this, um, I don't know, this idea surrounding um, being a mom and just kind of being always the like the default. Default, yeah. I mean, it's really not that long ago, the fifties and sixties of the stay at home mom and and wearing an apron and staying home and cleaning and cooking and doing all that, and you women weren't expected to work or didn't need to work with the the way that money and everything works back then. And now with the prices of everything and inflation and home prices, like it, we kind of need two income households to, to make ends meet yeah. nowadays. And so it still is a relatively new phenomenon in our culture um, and in society. So it like it, that lingering expectation or uh, the the lingering just societal pressure it's super outdated but it's totally outdated and it's my kids don't even understand that a woman wouldn't work i mean that's not a thing in our house you know it's funny because i actually remember when my oldest one who's now 15 Mm -hmm. was a baby and i was doing my training um and my sister-in-law is a doctor also and he you know he was around her and you know all my friends are doctors. So that's all he knew. And I remember, um, I don't know, something happened where he found out that a man was a doctor. And he said to me, mom, men can be doctors. (laughs) Like it wasn't, it's not a, you know, it's like all, you know, what you're exposed to. Yeah. You know, for, for me, it was never even, it never even entered my mind that I wouldn't pursue this career that I love so much. Mm -hmm. It was not a thing. Um, but I do think that there are still some, you know, barriers as far as societal norms that we're constantly feeling like we have to prove ourselves and, and overcome. And I don't know if if that will ever change. I just think that we've learned to work around it. Yeah. For the student growing up now through this process as a as a pre-med student, maybe as a high school student who maybe is getting pressures from her, her family, uh, whether that's just the way her family is or or culture or religion. Uh, there are different expectations. What what can you say to her to to help her understand like there there is a role for her in this world as a physician and a mom, as a spouse, uh, to to do it all, maybe maybe not perfectly, but to to juggle it all in some way. I mean, I just love what I do so much, right? And I don't know if it comes out when I talk to you, but I love <laughs> what I do. I yeah. love that I have a higher purpose in this world, that I save people's lives. I mean, I saw a patient the other day who I've been following for 12 years that I've been here at this hospital where I work. And he literally, I walked in the room, his eyes lit up, his wife was there with him. I know you know, about all of his grandkids. When I met him 12 years ago, he had a T-shirt on that said Poppy, and it had like caricatures of all of his grandkids. And I walked in 12 years later, and I mean, literally, he was about to die 12 years ago. And I said, how is Poppy doing? And he said, I'm doing great. And I just celebrated my 80th birthday with all of my grandkids and great grandkids because of you. I mean, nothing can take the place of that. Nothing in this world can take the place of that. And I know for a fact that even though my kids don't always acknowledge it, they know that I do that. And they know that my role is so important for so many people. And I'm glad that I'm teaching them that by example. And so the reality is a woman can and should do whatever she wants, because whatever you're passionate about, you're going to be amazing at. And if you can find joy in what you do, no matter what it is, that's the key. 
And so that's that's what it is. I mean, I, I would I would hate to think that any any woman or any girl would ever think that there was a glass ceiling, that she couldn't pursue her dreams or she couldn't go into this career because of some societal norm that really shouldn't even exist at all. It shouldn't it just shouldn't even be an issue. Yeah. Unfortunately, not every institution, not every colleague is going to be as welcoming and as supportive uh, of maybe the the support that you've had along the way. Do you have any words of wisdom for for someone who may encounter some sexism along the way? Well, I mean, I think that to some extent you have to find the place where you feel comfortable. So, you know, for example, for me, when I did my, obviously cardiology is still to this day, a very male dominated field. I mean, I know a ton of women cardiologists. I'm in a thousand, you know, social media groups with all women cardiologists. A lot of my friends are female cardiologists, but I think there are still some places where it's very, very male dominated and maybe a woman wouldn't feel as comfortable, but the reality is I think that's getting better over time. And I think that you have to seek out a place where you are going to feel most comfortable. And I, you know, when I'm mentoring, for example, I mentor a lot of the residents who are today, their rank list was due actually. So two or three of them reached out to me because I mentor them and they were, they were like, Oh my God, Dr. Bloom, we put in our rank list. I hope it's okay. They're all nervous. And when I, when I sort of give them advice, I also make sure that when they're going for their interviews and they're meeting with the other fellows, that it's a place that they feel like they're going to be supported, not only academically and, you know, and work-wise, but also environment-wise, because you generally can get a sense from a place if it's a place that's going to be, you know, supportive of a woman in medicine or supportive of, you know, a young, a young parent or whatever, like you're starting your fellowship with a baby or whatever it is, you know, you can kind of get a sense from who's gone through the program and who's worked at the program and sort of the demographic there and and what the feel is. And I think that's important too. I mean, at, at the place where I am now, there are a ton of female cardiologists, a ton of female physicians. We're, we're all friends with each other. We all get that, you know, we're, we're parents at the end of the day. And if you're running out to do something, people get it. Um, and it's a very sort of welcoming institution that way. And obviously not all places are like that, but I think in 2022, it's, I'd like to think it's getting better in most places. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it's going to change over time because what we've seen, historically is that once women kind of get a, a foothold into specific careers, the men run away, right? It, it happened in vet medicine, nursing. Uh, it's happening in medicine right now where we're seeing majority of uh, matriculants into medical school are women now. And and those numbers are growing pretty quickly. So it's going to be- You know the studies show that women are better doctors. But of course, of course. That's not the point course. of this podcast, of but course. just say. I know, I know. We're better uh, listeners. We're more empathetic. What'd you say? Um, <laughs> we're better listeners. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. The, the data does support uh, that women physicians- do take better care of their patients and and it's very interesting to to see that right it's it's again going back to societal norms is that just motherly instincts mm -hmm. that uh, are there to to take care of people and so it'd be very interesting to see in 15 or 20 years what the makeup of 
the workforce is and and are we going to see a big switch of maybe 60 40 women to to men going to 70 30 and then these conversations won't even need to happen because it's like the the, yeah. the majority of, of the workforce is going to be women. But it's interesting because um, so it's so hard to get into medical school these days. Mm-hmm. But yet um, I, a lot of people that I talk to just don't want to go into medicine in general. It's yep. a it's a hard balance. You know, like I was on PMG the other day and a, a few people were saying that they're their daughters were applying to med school and that they were waitlisted or they weren't getting interviews. And it's interesting to me because my sense is that especially post COVID and sort of, you know, everything that happened in healthcare, that a lot of people are veering away from medicine anyway, and that it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens down the line for women and men, um, because it's not as glamorous as it was certainly when you and I were doing training. Yeah. And there's a lot of other competing interests and there's a lot of other things that people can do even in healthcare, but yeah. certainly outside of healthcare where it's much more lucrative, their hours are better, it's much less stress. And so I think like the people that are going into medicine these days really, really are committed to yeah. this, you know, you have to be right. Because it's just not, yeah, it's not the most glamorous thing to do. I couldn't imagine doing anything else, but it's definitely different than it was. Yeah, it's it's different than it was, and yet it's for the people who are applying. It is what they know, right? And and so those of us who have been in it have seen the change. Those who are going into it don't know any different, and so I guess that's true. yeah. So that that's a big uh, thing to look at. It and the, the numbers are keep going up. The number of students applying to medical school keep going up and up and up. So whenever you yeah, see and, those and posts, their um their pedigrees are yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, we do the we do. I I participate in the interviewing committee for the fellowship for cardiology fellowship, and I mean, I actually say to people all the time, I don't know if I would match as a cardiology yeah. fellow now because they're, I mean, one CV is better than the next. Yep. Yeah. Like what these people have accomplished just in a few years, most people don't accomplish in a lifetime. Yeah. They're, they're, they're gung ho, uh, with, with what they're trying to do. So talk about, uh, you mentioned the, the village earlier, uh, that village typically involves some sort of significant other uh, especially when you have children. What is that communication between the two of you to make sure that things are as good as they can be? Yeah, so um, so actually my, my husband is traveling this week. He's actually hopefully on his way back right now. And the weeks that he travels is like a total disaster for like the, the place falls apart. Because as I said, since he started working from home during COVID, it's been so much easier. It almost is like I have post-traumatic stress from my previous COVID life where neither of us were in the house and it was constantly a juggle that now it's so much easier when he's away. And I remember what it was like. It's it's very hard for us to recoup. But in general, I will say, I mean, we've been married for almost 20 years now. We got married when I was an intern. So we were we were together during medical school after knowing each other as as teenagers, actually. Um, And he's not in medicine. I know a ton of people that are married to other doctors, and I think that works just as well, but in a different way. Um, But obviously, he you know, he has his own work schedule and he has a busy work life as well. And he travels and he goes to meetings and and all the things. It's not like he's a stay at home dad. and I just think that it really comes down to communication and mutual respect. I will say from day one, he has been my biggest cheerleader and my biggest supporter. Um, 
And I couldn't have it, I couldn't have done it all without. I mean, I went through all of my training with him. And the training years are, I think, the hardest because that's when you have the least control over your schedule. And that's when, you know, if you're a woman in medicine, it's not like people, it's not ideal to wait until after your training to start your family. Because if you think about it, most women are doing their training in their 20s and 30s. So you're doing your training in the childbearing years. So to have a significant other um, who is supportive and who kind of puts you on a pedestal and who really believes in you as a person and as a physician, I think is the key to success. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a work in progress. I mean, we certainly, we are not perfect. Sometimes we have communication lapses or what have you, but in general, I think that we really kind of both come at this parenting thing from, you know, the same mutual place of respect and, um, admiration for one another and and respect for what the two of us do in our day-to-day life. And that's how we make it work. Yeah. It's it's easier with an adult who has logic skills. But what about children? I, I know my eight-year-old loves to guilt trip when she doesn't think we're doing enough for her, what she wants, uh, whether mom's busy or dad's busy. How do those conversations go with uh, having several children in the house when you may not be home for some event that they want you to be home for? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's happened. I have a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, and an 8-year-old, and it's happened more times than I want to say where either I missed something because I had to or I missed something accidentally um, or just didn't have a choice. Um, I I think they must have some kind of – they must have like their own equivalent of PMG, like Dr. Kids or something <laughs> where they read a rule book where it says, this is how you guilt your mom mm-hmm. you know, when she's trying to be at work saving someone's life and she missed the book fair. Um, but the reality is I, and I think this this is a whole other topic which we could talk about, but I have made a lot of sacrifices in my career um, so that I could have a balance. So. A medicine career, um, you know, a career as a doctor can look any way you want it to look, really. I mean, I think it's obviously specialty specific and training specific and institution specific. But you should always remember or the students should always remember that you can carve out what you feel is going to work for you. And if your institution doesn't support it, you'll find somewhere that does. So for me, You know, I was working full, full time when I first started and I was like flip flopping schedules between a full week in the hospital and then a full week in the office. And a few years into that, when I was actually pregnant with my third, I realized that it was just not going to be sustainable for me to do that and still raise three children at home. And by the way, I also commute an hour each way. So that's a big factor too. So I wound up having to adjust my schedule so that I was home a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But with that came the sacrifice of salary increase Mm -hmm. and probably a little bit of prestige. And also, you know, certainly um, I think pushed off academic promotion, which I ultimately got, but probably would have gotten sooner had I not kind of taken that step in in the, that, you know, that direction. Um, so remember that your career can be whatever you want it to be and you can craft it. And I think that it's getting better to do that now than it was a while ago. Um, but you're still going to miss stuff and it's okay. And I think my kids are pretty well adjusted at this point and they realize that I'm there for the stuff that matters. Um, and when I'm not, it's for a good reason. I'm not, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not missing it just to miss it. They know that if I'm not there, it's for a reason. And I always am very upfront with them. I very, very often try to plan ahead. I'm very type A like that. So, you know, I try my best to, you know, even talk to the teachers at the beginning of the year and say, hey, if there's anything where you're going to need me to be, could you tell me ahead of time <laughs> so that I can adjust my schedule? But there's always, yeah. always going to be the stuff that pops up on the calendar and you say to yourself, am I the only working mom? Like there's yeah. no way that people can make it to the school three days in advance at 10 a.m. for, a, you know, a Thanksgiving fest. Yeah. So there's always going to be stuff. And I'm sure your wife feels like this too. There's always going to be stuff that you miss and you're always going to feel bad about it. But at the end of the day, I think my kids get it. And, um, and as I said before, I think that they deep down, they kind of know that I have a, I have a higher purpose at work. And I think they're probably proud of that in some capacity, or at least I'd like to think they are. Yeah. And so I think ultimately they don't hold it against me too much. Yeah. How much do you bring home to to kind of let them into your your work life? Yeah, that's a good question too. So I I actually talk about my work all the time, um, and and they know that I do. You know, and and truthfully, way more so than my husband, who's not in medicine. Um, I will come home and I'll say, you know, I saw this patient today and he was super sick and I kind of like tell them the story about it. And I think that helps them to also understand that there is something important that I'm doing when I'm not there driving them to soccer practice. Right. Um, and I also think that that makes them understand that I, I am who I am and, 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 you know, my, my career also in large part defines who I am as a, who has, who I am as a person. Um, so I share actually a lot of that with them. Um, and I, you know, I think that they're used to that at this point. It's been, I mean, with my oldest one, it's been 15 years of doing that. Um, so I, we talk a lot about my work and, you know, they know a lot about my patients. I don't use the names, but I'll describe them. And then, you know, they'll, the, you know, a couple of weeks later, they'll be like, oh yeah, what happened with, with that guy who you saw whenever, like they, they kind of, they kind of get it. Like this yeah. is just mom is a cardiologist. Yeah. You, you talked about the potential professional sacrifice that you've made basically saying, <clears throat> this is, this is the career and life that I want, or this is the life that I want. I'll have a career that fits the life. Do you think, <clears throat> In my mind, intentionality is something that we as humans, as busy professionals, we often skip doing. And we're just like, I'll just keep going down this path and seeing what my mentor tells me to do and seeing what this person tells me to do and and seeing the, the paycheck that I want versus let me be intentional about the life that I want. Do you think that's something that we should be teaching medical students, pre-meds, residents, sooner in life to say, you have that MD, that DO, you can craft your life however you want. You just need to be firm with what you want and find a job that will let you do that. Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of conflicted on it because to be honest with you, I wasn't always so intentional. I mean, I was hardcore, like, you know, point A to point B, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm going to med school. This is what I'm doing, you know, for residency and fellowship. And I really kind of like was on that train and there was nothing going to stop me from being on that train. And, and then even kind of when I started as a young attending, 
um, I was on that path. I was working full, full time, even though I had a toddler and a baby at home at that time. And that was like, I was very, very hyper-focused on building my, my reputation and building my career and, 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 and doing all of that in the way that I had always envisioned from the time I was in third grade. Um, and it wasn't until a few years into it where I had established myself and people started to locally and regionally, you know, respect me and send me patients. And I was building a heart failure clinic and I was building a cardio oncology program. And I began to realize I, I, I had made a name for myself and maybe it was time that I could start to be intentional and I could actually verbalize my needs and, and really recognize that I needed to make adjustments if I was going to do this long-term. So I think it's really, really hard when you're first starting out, because everybody is sort of on a level playing field and you haven't really established yourself yet, I think it's a lot easier to be more intentional and in sort of like be mindful about it when you've when you've had some years under your belt and you sort of like have hit the ground running already. Not to say that that it isn't important from the beginning. I mean, I think that at any point, you know, between the early years and the later years, you should always kind of do personal introspection and figure out if what you're doing is what you want to do. And if you're doing it the way you want to be doing it and you see yourself doing it. But I think that it's also important to recognize that in some capacities in medicine, you have to earn that, right? Like you have to kind of do your time like all of us do. And then once you sort of have done that, you can take a step back and say, okay, this is where I've come. I've come a long way. I've been really successful. Maybe it's time to pivot a little bit. So I, I'm kind of conflicted on it. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's um, it's something that is a given. I think it's something that, to some extent, needs to be earned. Interesting. Interesting. It's it's one of those things. I'm like, is that is that mindset just continuing? the potential issues yeah. that we have in medicine. Um, it, it's, it's a good conversation. I, I think we could, we could well, go. It's interesting because yeah. I work with a lot of the trainees. I work yeah. with the residents and the fellows and the mindset is totally different yeah. with this generation of new doctors than it was for you and I a hundred percent different. And so to some extent, I actually think that that probably is being taught to them in some capacity, either formally or informally, because I think way more than I was, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, they will verbalize, you know, what they want. And maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. But I'm just saying for me, I think that the reason I was successful at doing it was because I had established myself and I put yeah. in my time and I put in the hard work and then I had something to show for it. And then I said, okay, well, I've done this and look how far I've come. But if I really want to grow as a doctor and as, you know, as a, as a person, yeah. I need to really recognize that there are certain things that I need to do for myself in yeah. order to make this a long-term thing that I'm not going to burn out from. Yeah. I, I think that that same argument uh, is, is the question behind uh, residency change and, and is there a big tectonic shift in residency coming like why do we have 80 hours a week averaged yeah. over four weeks of residency training is that really needed and i i don't know right i i have been a staunch believer yeah. in residency is there to give physicians confidence that they can handle anything and and we yeah. need that confidence and 
and like, well, do we? Do we need 80 hours a week averaged over four weeks? Can can we do it in 50? Don't, don't you feel like <laughs> some of that made us who we are? I, I of mean, course. I do worry. I worry, of course, about resilience and especially in the COVID era. But honestly, sometimes I look at these these people that are doing their training now and the mentality is so different. Like I feel like as a group of people, we were so ingrained to be such hard workers and to put up with all of this adversity and all of it. And I think part of that made me who I am as a doctor and made me not mind about staying until 11 o'clock at night if a person's really sick instead of saying, oh, it's five o'clock, my my hours are done. I mean, yeah. that's not why you go into medicine, right? Yeah. Um, and so part of me worries that it's almost like the pendulum has shifted too far. And, you know, somehow we have to strike a balance between the two. I'm not sure how to do that, but I do feel like there's got to be an in-between. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's an interesting conversation and part partly understanding that hospitals use it as a way of cheap labor and they just don't want to yeah. pay for more people. So it's, yeah. it's it's an interesting conversation that I think, and as you mentioned, right, the younger generation uh work-life quote-unquote balance is much more top of mind for them where they yeah. they want the ability to kind of live a life outside of kind of having their identity wrapped around being a physician and and good or bad that's just the way that they they think and i think it'll, it'll be yeah, interesting I think to there's see. been a there's been a definitive mentality shift over the last probably 10 plus years yeah. and i've seen it in real time with the residents and the fellows, yeah. for sure. Do you think, uh, unfortunately, uh, you you had a child, not unfortunately you had a child, you had a child in residency, uh, multiple children, I believe, if I remember from your, yeah. your slideshow. Um, I, th I think it's going to be hit or miss uh, currently if a a resident is having a child, male or female, um, to be able to get that time off to be with their their child when the child is born. Do you think that world is is changing at all to to better support women for maternity leave, fathers for paternity leave? Uh, or do you think that's just going to be an individual program? No, thing? I think it's a work in progress. Honestly, yeah. I don't think that it's universal. I mean, I had three babies in several years, one in residency, the second when I was an advanced heart failure fellow, and then the third when I was a relatively new attending. So sort of three different times in my training and all three times I barely had any time off. And, um, Part of that was when I was doing my training, I really didn't have a choice. I had five or six weeks off and then I was back and it was so hard and I don't wish that on anyone, but I think a lot of us who are sort of around my, my time, that's, that was just how it was. And then even with my little one, I theoretically could have taken off longer, but I felt guilty about taking off longer. So I went back. Um, I think it's variable. I think it depends on the specialty. I think it depends on your program. I wish it were different. I think that other countries do it much better than we do in terms of extended leave and really kind of having the whole community help you take care of a baby. Um, but it's kind of interesting because I almost feel to some extent like it's more important to have more time with them when they're older. Yeah. Because when they're very, very little, it's hard for you mentally to recover to go back, but they don't. No, they don't need different. you. <laughs> they, right? they just I mean, need food and a diaper change. Feeding them, right. <laughs> yeah. 
Whereas now I feel like, especially with my little one, I see like, I, I, I see palpably that sometimes he's like, oh, you're going to work. We have a thing today. Are you going to be home? What time are you going to be home? So I think as they get older, they, they care more. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's all hard. I, I wish yeah. I had the answers for you. Certainly do not. <laughs> I wish it were different and I wish it were easier for all of us because then we would get amazing people going into medicine and staying in medicine. Right. Yeah. It, it was a, a lecture that was given early on in medical school that I'll never forget. Uh, it, it was a lecture about women in medicine and, and it was a neurosurgeon talking about like, babies don't need, they don't need you. Have a baby in training. It's the perfect time because you're busy working, they're busy sleeping and and someone can feed them a bottle and change their diaper. They don't need you. It's when they come home from school as a right. four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old and they're starting to have questions about life, you? right? Yeah. And and they, they, they need you. And, and so I'm like, it just makes so much sense. And I think we always think about it in the reverse. Like they're a baby, they need me. I'm like, eh, yeah. no, they don't. <laughs> point also, I think it's, I always, always, when I'm mentoring, remind people that they should not put off the rest of their life just because they're going through training. I oh, mean, please, all of us have please. done it. So, and it yeah. So let me, I, I have been having this argument more and more. I can't stand social media posts and TikTok videos and stuff that said, I sacrificed my 20s to, to become a doctor. I'm like, did you though? Like my best years were in medical school and, and training and like I married my wife, my best friends from medical school. What, what do you think about that, that whole uh, uh, notion of sacrificing to go to medical school? I mean, I think it's a hard path that all of us choose. I mean, I had certainly had friends outside of medicine that had a lot more free time in their 20s, yes. but it's not like I stopped my life. I got married, yes. you know, when I was an intern. So I got engaged when I was in medical school. Um, I had a ton of friends. We all went to each other's weddings those years. Um, and I'm still friends with all those. those. They're my closest friends in the world, my yeah. friends from med school and residency. Um, and, you know, I had I had my oldest son when I was a third year resident, I, I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't stop my life to, to, you know, pursue my medical career. Yeah. Was it hard? Yeah, it yes. was hard. I mean, it's very hard. Um, but the reality is that you don't want to sort of like take a step back from one thing to pursue the other. You should be able to do both. And if anyone tells you not to, or that you can't, then that's just not, you're not talking to the right people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that language of sacrifice, I think, leads people to believe that it's only medical school and you can't do anything else. Right. There's yeah, no. there's it uh, can't be that way. I yeah. mean, that's not reality. Yeah. There's there's a medical student on on TikTok. I follow her account. She is an avid dancer. And she was told, like, you you have to give up your dance career if you're going to go start medical school. And she's like, watch me. Right. And so yeah, she's trying out cool. for dance uh troops and whatever, whatever you call those things. So um, it's, it's awesome to see students start to kind of push back against the norm. Um, what haven't we talked about that you think students going through this process need to understand about what their future can and, and maybe should look like? I'll say the same thing I said on your radio show, which is you could not have picked a more meaningful career if you tried. I mean, honestly, with all the complaining and all of the stuff and, you know, all the challenges in medicine and, and all of it, it's still 
the most rewarding career on the planet. I'm sorry. I, I love, love, love being a doctor, being a healer, saving people's lives. I mean, and, and being so intimately involved with people's lives. I mean, more than most people in the rest of their lives, right? We're, we're so intimately involved with our patients' lives and well-being that no matter really what area of medicine you go into, you're never going to be able to replicate that elsewhere. So at the end of the day, kudos to all of you for deciding on this path, because it takes a special human being to commit to this and, you know, to, to sort of make that commitment over a longitudinal long long time. It's a big, big commitment, but you won't be sorry. You really won't. And honestly, you'll sacrifice is sort of the word of the day. You're going to make sacrifices. Everybody has to make sacrifices. And sometimes you're not going to be the perfect parent, or sometimes you're not going to be the perfect doctor. But once you realize that it's okay, and that you have, you know, your support system around you, that's all you really need. And, and you can craft your career to be whatever you want it to be. Um, but at the end of the day, you did right by picking this field. All right. There you have it again, Dr. Michelle Bloom. You can find her on Twitter. She is Dr. Mish Bloom, M-I-S-H Bloom. So D-R-M-I-S-H Bloom on Twitter. Go find her. Say hello. Let her know you heard her, heard her here on the podcast. And uh, hopefully it was a, a good episode to give you some idea of what the future may hold for you as a busy physician, spouse, parent, whatever it is that you want to be in this life. And don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com for those amazing free resources, including their full-length exam, number one, and their half-length diagnostic. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.